and welcome to Alien Minute, the daily podcast where we are analyzing aliens in short, controlled bursts. I'm John Ingle. And I am Mariah E. Gates, and this is Minute 35, which begins with Pharaoh coming around for a 709er and ends with Ripley saying that the structure of the atmospheric processors seems to be intact. All right, and this is day five, so it's the end of our week with Mariah E. Gates at uh, the helm, so to speak. Thanks for being co-host with me all week. Uh, thanks for having me. It's been fun. And Asia Romano, back again for day five. Thanks again for coming back. Sure. Thanks for having me. It's been fun. All right. So we're almost, we've almost reached the planet here. It's it's taken us all week to but get down to the planet's surface, but we're almost we there. cannot find the beacon. Where is it? We I don't know where it is, but you know what? I don't even know where it is when she says she knows where it is. I didn't even know we were looking for a beacon. I love that, like, you see it through the windshield and it's all blurry, and then you see it through the, the camera and it's, like, perfectly crystal clear, because I'm always just like, how did they do that? Yeah, I've always thought, you know, she says, where's that beacon? And she goes, oh, there it is. And I'm like, what? Where? What are you talking about? I just see, like, watery, uh, the watery windshield. That's all I see. I mean, yeah. I see a little something. But it, it just makes me think she's more competent even than I thought before, <laughs> or she could see through. And and okay, hold on. I just thought of this. Are there no windshield wipers on this thing? <laughs> Shouldn't there be? <laughs> Maybe they don't normally they don't normally land on on rainy planets enough to really. Maybe not, but it's sure it's not phasing Pharaoh whatsoever to have these so, watery windshields. She is a professional. I just, I love her ability to, like, just, and the way her voice matches her body language, she's just, like, kicked back in the seat, she's got her aviators on, like, everything's chill, it's just so great, the whole sequence is so great, I love her. So have we even talked about what she has written on her helmet? I mentioned it early on, but yeah, it says, um, fly the friendly skies. Right. Um, I'm wondering if anybody knows what that means i mean you know oh yeah sure i mean i'm assuming it's like you know the it, it used to be the um it's the united it's the united it's united yeah it was united yeah yeah so yeah united airlines like i feel like it hasn't been their slogan in like 15 years now so i'm kind of wondering if people in the future they'll just think it's a clever slogan that they see on our helmet i or... just googled it and wired had an article in april called how united airlines went from friendly skies to throwing people off flights. So at least in 2017, people still kind of remember yeah. it. I mean, I think it's pretty ubiquitous, but then maybe it's because I'm a 90s kid, but like I I, I feel uh, it like says, it's pretty much in it common says, culture. United's now infamous slogan, fly the friendly skies, is being revamped on social media following the company's latest public relations nightmare. That's hilarious. Um, <laughs> so, but yeah, so now it's... To how, you know, universalized it already was, so... And, and the way the style of it is the style of the way they would write on, like, the bombs that they dropped and things, right? So it kind of reminded me yeah. of, like, I guess United, like, morphed into, like, maybe all the airplane airlines morphed into being military only? I don't know. I mean, to me, it's just, like, a, a kind of ironic statement, right? Where, you know... She's taking she's taking the slogan of a of a commercial airline and pl placing it into this military like this dangerous military situation. I don't know. But to me, it's also, like I think uh, Mariah's point about how like the fusion of corporate culture and military culture yeah. is is you know it's it's really emblematic of that in a way. Oh sure, yeah. If you 
um, if there's a little bit of that subtext there, yeah, for sure. We've talked a little bit about the possible corporatocracy that they're living in. Right. Uh, or we're not sure there's any other company besides Wayland Utani. And yeah, and it really fact... seems like it's the only. I feel like we talked about this last time for the last movie. Yeah. It seems like it's the only thing that exists. Like there's nothing else. I've always felt like it's an oligarchy. Like I felt like yeah. I do feel like, and I think that's why his Paul Reiser's line coming up where he's like, "Yay, we ma- we make that. We we manufacture the air that you're breathing," and and Sigourney Weaver gives him that look. Yeah, I wrote mm-hmm. I wrote Ripley is not impressed. <laughs> well, I mean, I also think he's stating the obvious, right? I mean, well, I love the way I love the way he says it. He says they because she's mentioning the processors and she's like. We manufacture those. And he's so proud of the fact that, like, they manufacture the thing that's making it so that they can have the colony on the thing that they're also trying to, like, make money off of. Like, everything is to make money off of other money. And it's capitalism just piling on itself. And her reaction, too, is so telling because I, I feel like you can read it in so many ways. Like... A, you're really trying to sell me on the company right now when we're entering, a, you know, a barren wasteland that maybe has no survivors. And B, okay, so the fact that you made this tells me I shouldn't trust it. Great. Yeah. True. Yeah. And, and he also says, by the way, but, you know, he ends the sentence with, we manufacture those, by the way, which gives it the more like salesman-y kind of approach where it's like, oh, it's neither here nor there, but we uh, we manufacture those, you know? And it's like, it's an important bit of information to him, but it's that way of like making it sound like it's not really that important that salesmen use all the time. It's just so, it's so bad. Like, I don't know. In this exact moment, Ripley gives the perfect response to it because it's exactly how I look at it as I'm watching the movie. I'm like, really? Are you saying that right now? But yeah. It's a perfect line from him too. You know, like just that, that I don't, Sometimes I'm just like, what are you doing, Burke? Like, what is your focus? Like, he's so really good at manipulating this system where he is the perfect yes man until he isn't. If that makes sense? Yeah. I also have written throughout the entire notes here, eerie music. So, like, we've shifted from that militaristic music to, like, horror movie music again. Yeah. Well, yeah, because we're in – this is kind of creepy. Uh, The way it's shot, too. The music matching the shots. This is another pretty innovative thing here that we've got. What we have it appears, you know, they're looking at screens. We're not seeing this through windows. Yeah. We're seeing this through cameras. So this go this goes back to our body cams and how innovative that idea is. And what it perfectly does, we've been talking about effects all week. What it does is it takes these miniatures and it makes them look much more real. You got this graininess to it. You got the hazy lighting. You've got the lights on them that are, uh, I don't know what the word is for that, but they trail off as the movement causes them to sort of distort. All of that makes these these models seem so much more realistic. It kind of reminded me of the shot in Zero Dark Thirty when they're um, storming the ca- the compound and everything you see is through the night vision goggles. Right. You know the right. shot I'm talking right. about? And it makes yep. the ca- the compound seem more real than if they tried to shoot it um, like dark, you know, like day for night or whatever uh, the equivalent is nowadays. And I feel like it's the same kind of thing where you get the, the realness of the situation comes from the low fineness of the way you're getting the situation. Yeah. It definitely feels like a, a sort of precursor in terms of horror tropes to found footage in a way, because a lot of times when you, when you are in a found footage film, your, your first interaction with the setting is through these grainy lo-fi film, you know, camera shots. 
Yeah, I mean, we got a little bit of that in Alien too when they initially go out to look at the at the derelict ship. It's so much more controlled here with the names. On, you know, we're talking about the body cam footage. You, you get the names and everything, but that that all you're right. It's leading towards. We talked about it with Alien that it's leading towards the found footage ideas. That you know, oh, if you just have a practical source of a camera, you can do so much uh, with point of view and putting the audience in the point of view of the people in the in the situations. In this case, I think it just adds so much eeriness. You, you know, it's nerve wracking as they're just like flying through this little colony. It works with um, Ripley's line where she says, uh, it, "They seem to be intact." Where yeah. you're not actually, she's not actually sure that they're intact. Just like you're not actually sure what you're seeing because you're seeing it through this filtered, hazy computer screen. Um, right. So for all we all know, everyone's about to die. You have that gorgeous shot though, where you actually see, you know, the the ship flying through all the processors and and the colony, and it's 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 very clear, and and you're seeing it from the point of view of the camera that's filming the ship, and it's in complete contrast to all the grainy footage that we've just seen, but mm-hmm. it's also that makes it more impressive because it's grainy and, or sorry, it's gray and it's dark and it's overbearing, but it's also very, um, I mean, I think to me it has a very steely cold look about it and it's very, very um, ominous. So it just, it basically adds to the impression that you already have. Like, yes, they're, they're seeing all this grainy footage and they don't really know where we are, but, but the fact that we suddenly are able to see where they are and orient them within these, like, giant, I don't know, like, tent, like, steel tent-looking things, that actually doesn't help. And in terms of it doesn't help to, like, relieve our sense of, of anxiety and, and building suspense. Yeah, it's, it's a nice, this is a nice little moment here, I think. We get the eerie lead-up to the landing where we're not sure what's going on here. And we get Ripley re-engage, right? So we, we didn't see her get up out of the seat, but she had been, you know, at first pretty timid. And then, you know, she engaged Gorman for a second. Now she's up and she wants to see that. Now there's something to see. And she's going to get right into the middle of that because of all the people on this ship right now, she's the one that knows the, what the stakes are, right? So I think that the the line even about the uh, atmospheric processors is sort of her just deducing, you know, it's like, okay, well, you mentioned Burke that it was, could be a down transmitter, right? He mentioned that earlier in the, in her apartment. Right. So we can take that right out. There's no, nothing went wrong here. This isn't like some sort of storm. This isn't some sort of catastrophic event that happened um, where she's already kind of deducing it down to, okay, something's going on inside. Although they do mention they do mention that the storm shutters were sealed, which I think exactly. is interesting. Like, why did they do that? Were they trying to keep them out? Which you kind of hear a little bit later, uh, something that Newt says that makes you think maybe they came from outside and perhaps the storm shutters being closed was a last-ditch attempt to keep them out. Oh, for um, sure. Yeah, they they tried to seal up the place. That's Yeah, I got, I've always had that impression. Uh, that that was part of just them sealing themselves off. And yeah, the aliens are coming from, I don't know though. I mean, it's funny you, that you bring this up because we haven't actually talked about this yet at all. Like what exactly happened there on Hadley's Hope? Exactly. And we know that the, that Tim Newt's father from the cut scene gets a face hugger. You kind of assume it goes down exactly like alien, right? That they bring him in and they try to take it off and so on and so forth. But was there more? Were there more of these xenomorphs outside, or did they multiply much faster? 
so that then there were all over the colony and they had to try to cordon themselves off from them? I don't know. The last note I have is music intensifies. <laughs> it does intensify. It gets like really in your face. I do love that line about the structural intactness though, because I think if you're like, it could be just a throwaway line, but it's also completely not a throwaway line because Ripley, you know, when she's at her best, she's not like a chess master, but she definitely has all the, the cards in play. She knows what's up and she's drawing conclusions and you're seeing how her like wily mind works. And, uh, and it's also such a great counter to, to Burke himself, you know, and how effective she is at countering his manipulation. I just think it's really neat that we we do see Ripley going from this very disoriented initially um, sort of out of place feeling at the beginning of this sequence, at the, at the beginning of this week, to being completely, you know, on her, on her feet and, and engaged and proactive by the end of it. You know, and we see it by degrees and it doesn't, you know, it, it doesn't feel unnatural or, or forced at all. It's just her, like as she gets closer to this, you know, subterranean unreality, she dives back in and is more in her element than ever. Yeah, it's true. We, we kind of got a little bit of an arc for her just in this one week, didn't we? Kind of nice to have those moments don't really happen very often on the show. Usually things are broken up a little bit. But yeah, you, we do. We get a little arc for her as the descent to the planet, you know, she, she engages by the end and it's good to see. And then we get one last little bit of Pharaoh being a badass. The, ca- the casual circling of the colony. Oh yeah. She knows what she's doing. She's going to find a good yeah. landing spot. <laughs> <laughs> she's, yeah. she's my favorite. I know this is not the episode, but um, I, she was maybe the only person that, we lose in this movie where I was like, no, um, but she had a good death. She does. It's really actually, so does, so does Vasquez. Um, there's a couple of really good, like the, those two women really go out with like all cylinders firing, which is the whole movie that the two of them are on all with all cylinders firing. Yeah. Come to think of it. Most of the guys, deaths other than Hudson's are pretty kind of calamitous and almost just like I mean like shoot one of them's a friendly fire kind of thing right and like (laughs) not to get too far ahead of it but it's all kind of crazy how quickly a bunch of those guys get taken out and how kind of inept they seem when they're dying uh where the women yeah uh, Spunkmeyer even he before she dies he he should have alerted her to that what was he doing? <laughs> but she like that's gonna be a great minute. I'm looking forward to you guys discussing the minute with her because like she like immediately knows what to do, but can't quite move fast enough because she's not a xenomorph. Yep. But she, she tries. She has, that, she has that limitation of being a human being. Yeah. Unfortunately. She is a great character. Well, well, we'll see what's going on. I, I don't have anybody scheduled for that week, so we'll see if you're still available <laughs> if you want to talk about Pharaoh some more. Justice for Pharaoh, yeah. Just, all, right. <laughs> all right, well, let's wrap it up. Um, thanks again, guys, for coming on. I really appreciate you helping me out this week. Um, AJ, you want to let everybody know one last time where you can be found online? Sure. I'm uh, at Vox at Asia Romano, and I'm on Twitter at Asia Romano. And Mariah? And I am at Old Films Flickr pretty much anywhere on the internet. 
And we are, of course, at AlienMinute.com, on Instagram at AlienMinutePodcast, and on Twitter at AlienMinutePod. Come over to our Facebook page and join up if you want to join the discussion over there. Uh, Think about maybe coming over to AlienMinute.com and dropping a couple bucks in the virtual tip jar. We could use it to pay for some expenses. That would be very appreciated. Also, uh, at the end of the week, i like to say again, thanks to the Star Wars Minute guys for loaning us the format. Uh, head over to StarWarsMinute.com and check them out, or go to MoviesByMinutes.com and check out any of the other many, many, many other <laughs> Minute podcasts that are going on out there. Maybe they're, uh, somebody's talking about your favorite movie. All right, well, that's going to do it for Minute 35. We'll see you next week for Minute 36.